again. Good morning uh, and welcome. Glad you are with us today. Thanks for taking some time out of your weekend uh, to be here at West Bowls with us, especially if you're new or if it's your first time in a long time. Uh, we are glad that you are here today. We've got uh, a little form in the bulletin if you just fill that out for us. Uh, connection card, tear that off, turn it into the I'm New table there in the foyer. We'll get you a free gift as well as a bunch more information about this church and how you can be a big, big part of what God's doing in this place. Uh, so just so glad that you're with us today. I know the mountains are calling and there's a lot of other places you could be, uh, but I'm glad that you're right here in this sanctuary uh, in this moment. My name is Thomas, senior pastor here. If I haven't met you before, I've seen some old friends this morning, uh, some new faces. Uh, it's a great day. I'm glad to be with you today. We've got a lot to do today. I've got a lot to say. Dave Beatty filled in last week and did an amazing job, but I've got two weeks worth of sermons now to preach, all right? So, uh, so let me pray that God will help that to be 37 minutes long, and, uh, and we'll go from there. God, we seek you out. Again, we seek you now through your word. We seek you through the Bible. We seek you through uh, something that brings us life, God, this, this book that is far more than just a book, far more than just a story, God. It's an explanation of who you are, who we are, uh, what plans you have for us, God, why we're here, what we're, where we're going, God. It explains all of that. It, it's, in a, it's a book that's alive and brings us life, and we pray that it will do that right now. Uh, so bless our time together in this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are currently in a sermon series entitled Numbers. Hashtag, but not numbers. Uh, here's the basic gist. Uh, our lives, if you think about it, are filled with and inundated by numbers. From the number of years you've been married, to the number of years you spent in school, to the percentage of power left on your phone or on your laptop, to the number of calories or the amount of sugar in your morning bowl of Lucky Charms, right? It's all about the numbers. Life is full of numbers. And so is the Bible. There's actually a book in the Bible called the book of Numbers, but we're not looking at that. There are a handful of very symbolic numbers found throughout the Bible, but again, we're not looking at that. There are little numbers on the top of each page and before each sentence called chapters and verses, and that's actually what we are looking at. Those little numbers, they were, they were written long after the Bible was first written, but they have become extremely important to us over the years. See, God's promises, God's truths, God's claims, they are now inextricably connected to certain numbers, right? These numbers have a way of helping us to remember and reflect on what God has promised to us, what he has said to be true. 316, 2911, 1-1, 4-13. One, I could go on and on and on. There are so many great numbers out there, aren't there? And these numbers are like the address for us. They're the address of hope. They're the address of love. They're the address of eternity. They're the address of life. And when I'm struggling in this life, when I'm struggling to put words to things, all I got to do is remember those numbers. 2911, 316, And suddenly everything makes sense again. So I know some of us guys, we tend to forget how many years we've been married or how old our kids are, or what our bank account number is. But guys and girls and everybody for that matter, I want you to remember these numbers. I want these numbers to matter to you more than maybe any other number in your entire life. And this morning, I'm excited to spend a few minutes with you talking about the numbers 1211. By the way, side note, uh, every week I set out a little challenge on Thursday through our weekly announcement video, and I ask you, church, to tell me which book of the Bible these numbers come out of. In the last couple of weeks, a few ladies, Heather was one week, Melissa was another week, you get a prize. I give you a, a Chick-fil-A or Starbucks gift card. Well, this week, nobody guessed correctly 1211. So guess who gets the gift card? 
Had to just say that, sorry. All right, we've all heard them. We've all been amazed by them. We've all been in a room or around people who were left completely speechless by them. And I'm not talking about my sermons right now, okay? All right, none of you were actually thinking about that. What I am talking about is something called crazy conversion stories. This has nothing to do with baking or with mathematics. A crazy conversion story is how someone originally became a Christian or how they initially met Jesus. And what makes this this story crazier than others is how drastic, how dramatic the experience ended up being. Just in case you haven't heard one in a while or don't know what I'm talking about, let me share one of these stories with you this morning. Back in the early 90s, hard rock bands, thrash metal groups, as they were known, they were all the rage. And at the top of that list, in terms of their really unique sound, but also in terms of their kind of volume level and vulgarity level, was this group called Korn. Anybody want to show your age and, and raise your hand if you remember Korn? Will. Awesome. Okay, a few people. A few people. Don't worry, your parents aren't in the room. It's okay to say that now. These guys, man, they rocked out harder than most. To give you an idea, like Metallica and Alice in Chains sounded kind of mellow compared to Korn. Now I remember being in middle school at the time, and, uh, and I actually liked some of their music, but I had to have my friend's older sister go buy the tape for me because there was too much language. And I couldn't tell my parents that I actually liked Korn or else they'd take my Sony Walkman away from me. <laughs> Teens, if you don't know what tapes are or Sony Walkmans, just ask Siri. All right, wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? The lead guitarist of this new metal, heavy death metal band, a guy by the name of Brian Head Welsh, he became a Christian. He met Jesus, and his conversion is one of the craziest I've ever heard. Check it out. There was a a few times where life seemed good. My daughter, Janaea, she came into the world, and I was like, it was just such a a euphoric feeling. I thought my life could just feel like that forever, you know? It was like a, it was spiritual, just, I didn't know what was happening. I just felt so much love just fill my emotions. And I thought I was gonna be happy, but uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't stay sober. I didn't know how. I ended up with an everyday crippling addiction to methamphetamine. I sunk to the lowest gutter I could ever think of. I would spend time with my kid, and I would still be on it because I needed it to function. I'd get up in the morning, have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and snort meth, and then take her to school or whatever. It was just, I was a junkie. I started losing my mind. This guy would show up at my house with like a gun and stuff. And then I ran out in Europe, had my drug dealer just crazy. send me drugs through through the mail. I'd be tweaked out in my hotel room watching this package come from the U.S. It's just nuts. My life just was like spinning out of control. Janaea had come out on, a, on one of the tours in the U.S. I just remember me. her skipping around the house She's singing one of our corn songs called Adidas. All day I dream about sex. And I'm like going, what am I doing? I'm a junkie. My daughter's singing All Day I Dream About Sex. And uh, I'm going to die. My 
my uh, real estate broker, Eric, he, uh, he said, Brian, I don't mean to be weird with you, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, but I, f- I felt the scripture, like, jump out at me. I've never done this before, you know, so I don't really know how to do this, but I felt like this would mean something to you. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I remember all tweaked out. I looked up in the dictionary, weary. I looked up burdened, and I just I pulled the scripture apart, and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm weary and burdened, and I need rest for my soul. And uh, I didn't know if it was real, but the, you know, they invited me to church a couple couple weeks later, and I had received Christ at the church. I went home, neglected my daughter, got it all smooth and powdery. Jesus, you got to take these drugs from me. Search me right now. Search my heart. Father, I felt so much fatherly love from, from heaven, and it was like, I don't condemn you. I love you. I love you. It was just love, love, and instantly, that love from God came into me. It was so powerful that the next day I threw away all my drugs, and, uh... I quit corn. I was like, I'm quitting corn and I'm going to raise my kid because my kid, like I got the love from God coming to me and then it came out of me to my kid. It changed me. My heart was changed like that. And I was like, Janaya, daddy's going to be home with you all the time. I'm quitting my career. And her face lit up and she's like, for me, you know, she felt so special. And uh, God used her to save me, to save her life later on. My dream came true way more than I dreamt about. I, got, I made more money. I played bigger shows. I mean, houses, cars. I tried drugs. I tried sex. I tried everything to try to get pleasure out of this life. And I thought that I could fulfill my life with all this stuff by, by having my dream come true. And it came true. But it didn't fulfill it. When Christ came in, that feeling, he gives you the gift of understanding life, which is everything was created for Christ and by him, and we we're created to be with him. And it's the most incredible feeling because you're where you belong. And contentment is given to you in life because you don't have to look anywhere else. I'm Brian Head Welch. And I am second. Now that's a conversion story, is it not? That's an amazing story. And what the Lord has done in that man's life. I have, uh, I've toyed around with growing my hair out like Brian's. But then I, then I remembered, I don't, I don't have any hair. Uh, anyways, Brian's story, although it, it's crazy for most of us, it's not all that uncommon, church. See, God does stuff like that all of the time. From the Islamic terrorist who ends up being cared for by a Christian doctor and converted to Christianity, all because his suicide vest didn't detonate properly. To the prostitute who's purchased one night, and instead of being told to make love, she's told about God's love. 
to, the, to the, the arrogant businessman whose business comes crashing down when the stock market crashes down as well, who ends up meeting Jesus in his desperation and devoting his life to building God's kingdom up instead of his own kingdom. There are people, countless people, whose conversions to Christianity are crazy. They're nothing short of spectacular. There's actually a story in John chapter 9 about one particular man whose conversion, I would say, is, is just as crazy and amazing is that of Brian's. John chapter 9, if you have a Bible, open it there. If not, follow with me on the screen. Beginning in verse 1, it says this. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, or this man or his parents, that, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told the man, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. Now, I'd put what happened here to this particular man in John chapter 9 up against any conversion story I've ever heard, even that of Brian Welsh's. What we read in this text is that there was a man, he was born blind. And if that wasn't difficult enough, in that particular time in history, in that culture, something like that was deemed to be a punishment from God. The fact that you are blind or sick or have any sort of ailment is proof that God is mad at you. Your suffering is because of your own sin. So you can imagine that this man, his view of himself, his view of God, his view of the world, it's incomplete. But all that changes one day when this guy named Jesus rolls up. I mean, Jesus shows up and he fixes everything. First, he, he speaks to the absurdity that, that this man's blindness is somehow his fault. The man wasn't born blind because he wasn't a good man. He was born blind because God wants to move his glory through this man. He wants to be a vessel. God has him as a vessel of glory. God's not disappointed in this man. He wants to use him to demonstrate something amazing. And then Jesus kind of takes this opportunity to tap into his inner toddler, if you will, and he starts playing in the mud. He actually makes mud pies, it says, with his own spit. Then he places them on the man's eyes. Now, Jesus is doing one of several things here. He's either trying to gross everybody out just because it'd be kind of funny. He's breaking every religious rule to kind of get on the, the uh, bad side of the religious leaders. Or he's showing that in him, through him, because of him, he can make all things new. That with Jesus, mud turns into miracles. So with mud-covered eyes, this man... This man born blind, he staggers and struggles to find his way to this pool of Siloam. But this is the last time he will ever stagger or struggle to find his way in the world. Because as soon as he washes his eyes with the water in that pool, he is miraculously healed. And I love that last line, he came home seeing. Well, as soon as he gets home, he tries to explain to everybody what in the world just happened. Can you imagine um, mom, dad, wow, you look different than I expected, <laughs> but it's nice to see you. So there was this guy, and he said, he said it wasn't my fault. I think I heard him hawk a few loogies. 
I'm pretty sure he rubbed them in my face. But then I washed off in the pool, and suddenly my sight was restored. And every parent is thinking, yeah, right. We've heard this one before. Actually, they're not thinking that because no one's ever heard this before. His claims, his story are so unbelievable. Guess what? A lot of folks don't believe it, especially the religious elite. These guys who, who want to show there's nothing special about Jesus. There's nothing unique about this guy. There's nothing good about this guy. They don't like the fact that this guy is the one that helped out this guy. So they start to interrogate the man. They start to try to disprove his story, make him look like a fool. Verse 13 says this. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath day. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. Well, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes that he opened. The man replied, he's got to be a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? We know that he's our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see right now or who opened his eyes, well, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, don't ask us, ask him. Continuing on, it says this, a second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God and tell us the truth. We know the man who healed you, he's a, he's a sinner. The man replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind but now I see. Last verses, 25 and 27, say this. Go on more, Olivia. Oh, I'll have to. Oh, here we go. Yes, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already. You're just not listening. Oh, do you want to hear the story again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Then the story comes to an end. Picture this scene with me. The crowds are all amazed. The religious leaders are all arguing. The parents of the guy are a bit anxious, feel a bit attacked. No one can make sense out of what just happened. No one can explain how a blind man suddenly has 20-20 vision. No one has words for this except the man himself. In a few short words, this man gives one of the greatest testimonies of all time. And it's a testimony that's been told throughout time and will be continue, continually be told for all of time. Listen, he says, I don't know who this Jesus guy is. I can't answer all your questions about him, but there is one thing I know with absolute certainty. I was blind, but now I see, and he's the reason for it. I love how this uneducated sinner kind of trumps and stumps the religious elite and highly educated of the time. I love that he admits he doesn't have all the answers, but he knows one thing, and boy, is he going to stand up for it. I love that later in his conversion, he starts to kind of poke fun. Oh, you want to hear the story again? You want to be a disciple too? I love this whole thing. But what I love the most about this man's testimony is that it actually helps us to see and then to put into words the enormity of our own testimony. 
What this man said is exactly what every single person in here who claims to be a Christian can say for themselves as well. Okay, maybe not the whole I was physically blind part, but you can say that Jesus and Jesus alone has drastically changed your life. Whether you believe it or not, when you give your life to Christ, your life is then transformed and changed by Christ. That's why some of us are kind of hesitant to kind of enter into this relationship. I remember as a college pastor, we'd have some guys who were so afraid. Uh, they, they, were, they had been dating for so many years, but they were afraid to get engaged and get married. And I'd ask the guys, like, why are you afraid to go to that next level? Why are you afraid to experience a deeper level of intimacy? And you know what some of these guys would say? I'm just afraid of what my life will look like if I get married. They knew what life looked like over here, but post-marriage, they weren't exactly sure what it would look like. And they were scared to make that jump. And some of us are scared to make that jump, too, when it comes to Jesus, because we know things are going to be different. But they need to be. They should be. See, Jesus isn't interested in simply kind of wiping the crumbs off of your shirt or, like, getting that awkward milk mustache off your face. He didn't come to clean you up. He came to change you. He came to transform you. He's not interested in just helping you out a little bit or lending you a helping hand from time to time. He wants to change you, and it's what he does best. It's something only he can do. When Jesus is around, when he's part of the equation, when he is in your life, when he shows up on the scene, things will be different. And just ask the disciples, Luke chapter 5. One day, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon the fisherman, Hey, put your nets into deep water. Let down the nets for a catch. The disciples had been fishing all night. They hadn't caught a thing. So Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night, haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in for the other boat to come to help them. They came and filled both boats so full they almost began to sink. Now the fact that they have to admit they didn't catch anything the entire night is somewhat embarrassing. These men are fishermen. It's what, they're, it's what they do for a living. It's how they make their money. Jesus comes up, he's like, hey, I'd like for you to preach a sermon, Thomas. Like, man, I've tried to preach a sermon all night. I can't preach this. I've got nothing. It's embarrassing, but it's also how they make their money. And now it seems like Jesus is rubbing this in their face. Hey, why don't you try it again? Why don't we go fishing? And you can hear the frustration and the anguish, right, in these guys' voices. Try again. Throw the nets out right now. I mean, are you serious? We tried all night, man. We didn't catch anything. We want to go home. But because you asked, because you said so, I guess we'll do it. I mean, nothing's really changed, guys, if you think about it, from that, that night before, right? These are the same guys. They're on the exact same lake. They're trying to catch the same stubborn fish. They're using the same nets and the same bait and the same techniques. Everything is the same. That's why they fully expect to get the same results, which is a whole lot of nothing. And that's why they're not too thrilled when Jesus asks them to try it again. Now, I said everything is the same, but actually there is one thing that is different. One small little detail that is different than that night before. Jesus. Jesus is there now with them. 
And because of that, because of that one little difference, because that one element has been changed, everything else is about to change as well. That's what Jesus does. It's what he does best. And after Luke 5, I I believe the disciples have a testimony. They kind of have a conversion story, if you will, that sounds similar to the one in John 9. I once was incapable, but now because of Jesus, I'm empowered. I once felt like a failure, but now because of Jesus, I live courageously by faith. I once left empty-handed, but now because of Jesus, I always have more than enough. I once tried and failed on my own, but now because of Jesus, I can do all things. You see that? They have their own testimony. They have their own story. And guys, I want you to see that these are things that all of us can say. Yes, all of us. Every single one of us has a conversion story. Every single one of us has a testimony. From our, from our, our, school, our, our folks in school to the, to the crowd that gets the senior discount at IHOP, right? All of us. Woo, yeah. We have all got a testimony. Because I know that it's super easy to hear about or watch crazy conversion stories like that of Brian Welsh or even to read the story of John chapter 9. I know it's easy to, to think that your story, your conversion, doesn't measure up. Right? You hear about these crazy conversion stories, and you automatically feel as if your story, it's insufficient, it's inadequate. Christian, nothing could be further from the truth. If you have Jesus, if he is part of your equation, if he's shown up in your life, if he's riding in your boat, then things are going to be drastically different. And boy, have you got a story to share. See, Jesus isn't interested in the status quo or making things good enough. He wants more. He wants better. He wants you to live differently. He wants you to have abundance. He wants to take you from one end of the spectrum, the only one you've ever known, all the way to the other end of the spectrum, which is what you were created for. And so when you have Jesus and he's in your boat, you've got a story. You've got a conversion story. You've got a testimony. you just got to spend some time figuring out what it is. For some of us, our John 9 Our testimony sounds something like this. Maybe it has to do with drugs or alcohol. I once was addicted, but now I'm sober. And Jesus is the one who gave me the self-control to do that. For others, it has to do with anger. I once was bitter and mad, but now I am merciful. And it's Jesus is the one who softened and changed my heart. For some of you, it has to do with your purpose. I once was driven by sex or stuff or success, but now I seek to serve others. And Jesus is the one who changed the desires of my heart. Even even those of you who were born in the pews, who have been in church every single time the doors were open, those of you that that grew up in this place, you have a story to tell. You have a testimony to share. You have a John 9. Maybe yours sounds like this. I once went through the motions of church, but now I see that I am the church. I I once merely listened to the truth, but now I've been set free by the truth. I once thought I knew it all, but now I actually know him. I once judged others and judged the world, but now my heart breaks for the world, and I want to bring heaven to the world. I once was a goody two-shoes, but now I'm trying to walk in his shoes. I don't know what your story is, but you've got one. Because when Jesus is in your life, things are going to be different. Always and forever. That's how it will be. If you have Jesus, then things are going to start changing from how they've always been to how they should be. It was true for the blind man. It was true for the disciples. And it's true for you. So just like the man who was born blind, 
I want you to put into words, maybe for the very first time in your life, your story, your testimony, what Jesus has done to you and for you. Uh, so you all have in your little bulletin there a notes page. I want you to write out. I'm going to give you about 60 seconds here. Kim, come on up. I'm going to have you play kind of behind me. I want you to write out on a piece of paper, a scrap piece of paper, pull out an old receipt, write it on your arm if you've got nothing to write on. Or just spend some time thinking about it just for a second. What is your John 9? What is your testimony? And I want you to write it in a very particular way. I want you to write it like this. I once was this way. But now because of Jesus, I'm this way. It's kind of a before Jesus, Jesus, after Jesus. It's that simple. But I want you to spend some time thinking about how has Jesus changed your life? Explain it in a very simple and in a very straightforward way, the change, the transformation. Now, is he done? Like, are you complete over here? No. You're not perfectly this over here on this side yet. But has he started something? Has he begun this transformational process? Of course he has. So I want you to start putting words to it. Before Jesus, Jesus, after Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and I want you to take this time and I, I just want you to, to talk to him. I want you to talk to Jesus like he's sitting right there next to you. I want you to invite him into your life. I want you to invite him into your heart, and I want you to say, Lord, Jesus, I want you to change me. I want you to take my disappointments and the things that I once was, or even the things that I am right now, and I want you to change them. I want you to make them better. I want you to make them different. And I know that you're the only one that can do it. You're the only one who has the power, and the only one who really wants to change me for the better. So let me spend some time right now confessing to the ways that you are, the ways that you have been living, and asking Jesus to change you into something different. Let me pray for you, and I'm going to give you a few minutes to write out your own testimony, write out your own John 9. You with me? All right, let's pray. God, the story in John 9 is an incredible story. It's like Brian Welsh's story. It's this story of an amazing conversion, a man who was blind and, and living in the streets and probably unloved by others and felt like he was unloved by you. And then when Jesus, when, when your son showed up, everything changed. Everything was different for that man. And we see in so many different lives how that is true still today. When you show up, God, when you show up, you do incredible things. When you show up, you change things for the better. When you show up, we go from empty-handed and alone and blind to living in abundance and community and seeing what is real and right and best. Jesus, you bring about a great transformation. I pray that now we'll put words to that transformation and that you'll help us to see how you've changed us. Make it, make it so now. We all once were a certain way, but now because of Jesus, we are a different way. Help us to, to put words to that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
I once was hell bound, but now I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. I once was God's enemy, but now I'm his adopted son or daughter. I once was marred by sin and shame and stupidity, but now I'm saved. I'm called a saint. All All of us can say that's all of our testimonies. But you can say so much more than that. I want you to personalize it. I want you to really take John 9 to heart because you have a story, Christian. You have a testimony. If you feel comfortable, I'd love for you over the next couple of days to go on our Facebook page and share with us what you wrote this morning or what you thought about. Share your John 9 testimony with us. If you don't have a Facebook page, you don't want to share that publicly, send it to me and I'll, I'll post it for you anonymously. I'll change a few things around to make it sound a little crazier. But... But I'd love for us over the next couple of weeks, church, to be able to go on our Facebook page and to see the story of glory, right, that's being told in and through this church. How each of our lives are this powerful testimony, this powerful encounter with Jesus. All right, so what about the numbers 12, 11? What in the world are we going to do with those? Revelation 12, 11. Not Hebrews, not Romans. Good try, church. Revelation 12, 11. They... The church triumphed over the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Read that with me. They triumphed over the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. See, Christian, your testimony isn't just a nice little story about how you met Jesus one day. It's not just some account of how you've been changed in one way or another. Your testimony isn't just a line or two about who or what you once were and now who you are today. It's all of those things, but it's so much more than that. Your testimony, what Jesus has done in your life, it's one of the most significant ways that God is destroying and defeating the devil himself. Your testimony is how God is illuminating the darkness and bringing life to this world. Your testimony... Your story has more power behind it than you can even imagine. And doesn't our world need some light right now, need some peace, need some hope, need some passion for what is good? Guess where they're going to find it? Through your testimony. God says, I'm going to bring this world to its beautiful conclusion and overcome the darkness of it through the blood of my son and the word of your story. That's why you got to know your testimony. That's why you got to put it in a little simple package so you can share it with the guy on the elevator or the guy in front of you at, at Burger King or whatever. you got to be able to share it quickly. I once was this way, but because of Jesus, now I'm this way. Every time you say that, you are breaking down a stronghold, a stranglehold of Satan himself. You are defeating death. So I want you to think about, in addition to your testimony itself, in addition to the I once was this, but because of Jesus, I'm now this, I want you to think about three people. You got, you got a lot of homework today, sheesh. You got three people in your life over the next couple of weeks that I need you to share your testimony with. Three people that have never heard you voice the before Jesus, Jesus, after Jesus story that is yours. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe she's never, maybe she's never heard your conversion story, your testimony. Maybe it's your kids. What a cool dinner conversation that would be to go around and say, let's share our John 9 together. Maybe it's a coworker, a classmate, I don't know who it is, but you got three people and you can't come back in these doors until I, I know who they are and they can all vouch and have signed off on the fact that, okay, we won't do that. But I want you to take this seriously because God will overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the power of our testimony. 
through your story, he will save this world. So what God did in Brian Welsh's life, it's crazy. And I could watch that, that story all day long. It's awe-inspiring. It's amazing. But what God has done in your life, what God wants to do in your life, it's just as amazing. It's just as awe-inspiring and just as incredible. Ask the man born blind. Jesus changes things. Ask the disciples in Luke 5. Jesus changes things. Shoot, you could just ask our own Katie McKenna. Jesus changes things. A few months ago, we asked you, church, to help Katie raise some funds, right, to go on a six-month mission trip with YWAM, and she did. Katie, raise your hand over there. Katie's back now, six months later, and she is changed. And it's not because she spent time in Hawaii, although I'm still mad at her because she did that. It's not because she went to Africa or Germany. I mean, that's part of the story. You know why she's different today? Because of Jesus. Jesus has changed her story. And boy, does she have an incredible testimony. And she wants to thank you, church, for your support, but she also wants to share her story with you because she believes in the Numbers 12:11. She believes that every time she shares her testimony, something amazing is happening. So she's going to be in the foyer. And those of you who supported her financially, those of you who did, those of you who just want to know what happened, what Jesus did, go talk to her. She said she's got nothing to do all day long. She just wants to share her testimony. If you want to hear a powerful testimony, though, if you want to see how Jesus can change someone's life, well, just spend some time looking at your own life because that story is right there. It's your story. 12-11, powerful numbers, are they not? They triumphed over the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Let me pray that over you. We've got a great song. kind of wraps this up and will send us out. God, give us courage. Give us wisdom. Give us the ability to discern what is our story How have you changed us? And those of us who maybe don't feel as if there's been a drastic change in our life, God, wake us up. Show us how different things should be when you are part of our equation. God, we just ask that you will will take us from being something that is is, um, not good, God. And would you transform it into something that is so good? Only you can do it. And we trust that you will do it now. Help those of us who have a story, who have a testimony to share and to believe in the power of it. Help us to proclaim it to three people, 30 people for that matter, God. Help us to believe that when we say those words, when we share that story, when we speak our testimony, you will do incredible good. You will bring life not only to us, but to the people around us. So help us to share our John 9 with as many people as we can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.